Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome once again to Bring It On, an award-winning, excuse me, a multiple award-winning show in our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, we are pleased to be joined by Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton, elected the 26th mayor of Bloomington on November 3rd, 2015, and took office on January 1st, 2016. His main focus is on improving the economy, helping it become more equitable so Bloomington works for people from all walks of life, more sustainable so we are building a better future with today's efforts, and more productive so we can help build value for all to share. Also, Mayor Hamilton is committed to increasing affordable housing in town so the appeal and attractiveness of our community is available to a wide diversity of people throughout the city. Mayor Hamilton is working toward a more transparent, open, and accountable government with increased access to information for all and more active engagement with all interested residents. With greater transparency and engagement can come greater efficiency and accountability. So our city government can say what what we will do and do what we say. Be Clear, the city's online information exchange portal, is available for residents to explore their city government. Before introducing our esteemed guest, we want to share with our listening audience on December 7th, uh, a December 7th op-ed piece written by Mayor Hamilton that appeared in the Washington Post. Our producer, Clarence Boone, will read it for our listeners. And this is where I hope we can add value, add it to the program. And... Uh, and um, Hopefully, Mayor Hamilton, you'll be pleased with this. But uh, this is dated December 7, 2017, uh, and it's, the author is John Hamilton, a Democrat who is the mayor of Bloomington, Indiana. As the mayor of a small Midwestern city, I'm watching federal tax reform play out in the nosebleed seats, far from the debate about deductions, sunsets, trade deficits, health care impacts, and dollar effects. But I work every day for people who will be affected directly. Much in the tax proposals distresses me and threatens my residents greatly, such as its shocking transfer of wealth away from salt-of-the-earth working families to corporations and very wealthy families, not to mention its $1.4 trillion in new deficit spending over the next 10 years, which would mean borrowing nearly $5,000 for every woman, man, and child in the United States. To get a sense of scale, I imagine borrowing the same per person in my own community of 85,000 people, 400 million. That's a big number. It would more than triple our local debt. Maybe it's for a good cause. We usually borrow money to build sewers or roads, new parks or buildings or trails, things that last and generate shared long-term community wealth. For example, my city recently borrowed about 30 million to build a major park over an old railroad switchyard to serve our community for decades. 
I imagine telling my community that I want to sell $400 million in bonds to be paid off by everyone in town over the next generation, to give six-figure tax breaks to our wealthiest families and big tax cuts to local corporations. I'd be run out of town. If I asked the city council to approve tripling our local debt to give hundreds of thousands of dollars per year to a few hundred of our most prosperous residents, they would ask me if I, what I was smoking. Preposterous, they would say. What is it about Washington? Why is it not obviously preposterous at a federal level to do the same thing? Some may say, well, hold on, cities or states do similar things by other names. But we do no such things. We occasionally offer specific tax abatements or incentives to particular companies or entities doing useful things, such as expand employment or create affordable housing. For example, this year we offer tax abatements to produce permanently affordable homes for 50% of a new housing development. But these actions are focused on and scaled to specific outcomes we want particular new jobs or affordable homes or investments, and the benefits are clawed back if promises aren't kept. Perhaps local tax cuts similar to the federal proposals could win support from a city council if they were tied to performance. Tax reductions for corporations if they actually delivered higher wages or increased domestic investments. Perhaps I can make a case for such massive borrowing if we were investing in quality daycare or better health care for poor children so they could have more success in life, strengthening our whole community. Or maybe if we were investing in new energy sources or digital connections so our overall economy could thrive. But I, I simply cannot imagine a city council in America passing or any major proposing uh, or any mayor proposing a tax cut structure like the federal proposals giving massive tax reductions to the wealthiest families and all local corporations with no particular promise of anything in return. I'm watching a bill being steamrolled through Congress with no hearings or public debate, whose provisions I believe would never survive a local city council discussion. For goodness sake, what is going on in Washington? And with that, it's our pleasure um, to introduce Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton, who will reflect on this article and several other topics of discussion this evening. Mayor Hamilton, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much, Clarence and William. Uh, you got me all agitated here in that again. <laughs> <laughs> Get me riled up. But again, I really appreciate again, right? the chance to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I, as I was reading and, and just thinking through uh, the irony, um, there's more... I would say scrutiny, it seems, and, and local government as opposed to federal governments and the urgency and, and just uh, the lack of, of just formal debate or discussion and just ramrodding this, this, this uh, legislation through. I, I know we will regret it, but how soon do you think we'll feel the impacts? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you know, the whole the process itself was painful to watch because this is a huge thing for the country and it affects all of us it affects every community around the country and yet there was not a single hearing about it and you know you didn't you didn't get um any debate in any way that really looked at what it's doing i mean the bill got written in the margins and people didn't know what they were voting on and it's a huge thing the desperate political effort to pass something last year um you know i think it's a, its impact is already it's already hitting us and, and uh, I, I do get agitated. I, I wrote the piece because I felt uh, kind of helpless, I guess, in a way, out here watching that go from the nosebleed seats, as I said. But I felt, you know, I, I, did, I actually tried to think about 
what would it be like if I went to my city council and had something like this as a proposal? And it would it would be preposterous. I mean, mm-hmm. to say we want to have we want to borrow all this money. It's a it's a deficit, right? They're borrowing all this money, five thousand dollars a person, in order to do what? Because that's the net. Like, okay, we want to borrow money. We want what? What are you going to do with it? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give really big tax cuts to the very wealthiest in town. And I'm going to give really big tax cuts to the corporations. And then things are going to be great. (laughs) Anyway, it's it's very frustrating. As a follow-up, the the assumption, um, and I guess this is a throwback to the Reagan era where trickle-down economics is supposed to kick in. And because the wealthy have all this wealth, they will... uh, Build bigger corporations and Clarence, hire don't, more don't people. Don't steal my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and and I don't. But but the even in the Reagan era, there was not this rush to pass this thing. I, right. And I'll stop right there. Right. William, go ahead. You know, you, you asked the question: Why is this not obviously preposterous to those in Washington? Now, I, I'm no economist, but to me. There is no science or math that supports this trickle-down nonsense. Even George uh, Bush one called it voodoo economics. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it seems that um, those in Washington, you know, they really is it's only supported by by an idea. They just tell us, like you said, things are going to get better. So, can you speculate on any type of answer? to the question that you asked in your op-ed. Why is it not obviously <laughs> preposterous to them? Well, I mean, I, I do think, uh, look, we we have, what is it they say about democracy? It's a couple things they say. One is it's it's the it's the worst political system except for any other option that we can think of. I mean, it's it's got problems. Or or uh, it's it gives you the government that you deserve as a people. I don't, I think our democracy is not working. Um, America does not look like and it is not reflecting the values that most people want. If you ask Americans, and there's been polls, if you ask Americans what kind of economy, what kind of, what kind of economic distribution of things you want, people, people want the, the wealthy, the people who risk and who do good things, and they want them to get rewarded. People, people want, if you, if you work hard and you're really successful, everybody's in favor, generally. People are in favor of that person reaping rewards. But, but the distribution that we have is radically different from what people, one, think is true, and two, believe should be true. And this, this tax bill makes it much worse. So we have a political system that is really, I mean, it's been said, right, the political system is rigged toward uh, a um, enhancing those with power and resources to protect them, and we've really got to fight against it. It's 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 happening in voting rights, where we have efforts to restrict ability of the democratic process to welcome everyone in and to let every voice be heard and every vote be counted. We have the money part of politics, which is just overwhelmingly driven by uh, the wealthy in this country being able to push politics where they want it. And so, you know, we got we to gotta fight hard. Um, this tax bill was, it was a, who benefits from this tax bill, right? Follow the money. That's, that's where the source of support came from. You, you know, uh, to, to dovetail on that, a few days after the bill passed, 
this it was reported didn't get a lot of I'm surprised didn't get a lot of uh, uh, media exposure but apparently it, there was an overheard comment at a function that our, our president hosted at, at a private club or something and where he was said uh, he was quoted as saying uh, this new tax bill has just made us a ton of money or something yeah, or it's got a lot richer it's <laughs> got a lot richer and, and and I don't know verbatim but to, to just sort of summarize what it was is something to the effect let's let's hoist our glasses and and salute each other because we just became very rich and and if this were payoffs to uh for his candidacy to become president um that's one thing or if it's just because he is a business entity his name is a brand all in itself is this some way to well i'm if all the headache i'm taking here well i'm gonna i'm not gonna walk away empty-handed so i'm gonna (laughs) just give myself a, a gift here it just it just smells and just uh it, i don't know if i think within a half a year or a year uh americans are going to feel the pain and the pension and perhaps 2018 the mid-year term elections are really going to be telling well i you know look i i have um, i have good friends who are republicans and i have and i and we need two parties in this country right. to to be responsible and advocating for their view of the future um and I have respect that we need we need successful corporations. We need successful employers. I mean, our city depends upon having successful businesses and entrepreneurs. And and I think it's perfectly appropriate to think about how does the tax structure affect you, and how to how how can we enhance uh, opportunities for for success in that sector. But one, it has to be a conversation, not a ramrod, which is what we had. And two, it needs to really. Th- think about those fair bargains and that's kind of what i said look at city council we have that kind of debate we we do give tax breaks to corporations that are doing particularly valuable things or investors who are doing particularly valuable things but it's it's a discussion like okay if we give you this tax abatement what do you what are you going to do uh, and are you going to expand employment? What kind of wages are they going to be? That kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, it's so it's awfully frustrating. You know, I, I like to say that they have looted the Treasury mm-hmm. for years to come. Mm-hmm. And True. so ever since they passed that tax bill, uh, I'm just waiting for the hammer to fall. So I'm wondering, uh, you said something interesting a few minutes ago. You said we're already beginning to feel the impact uh, locally. Now, I sit on the uh, Board of Commissioners for the Housing Authority. Even before they they passed this tax cut, we were worried about the cuts to uh, yeah. uh, from HUD funding, because in some of the rural areas, and in, in years past when they cut money from HUD, some of those housing authorities had to close. Yeah, and that meant, of course, no affordable housing or public housing in those areas. So, uh, what areas are you seeing? Uh, that are being impacted locally already. Well, so first of all, kind of it's this incredible irony and infuriating juxtaposition that they pass this tax bill, but then say we don't have enough resources to support children's health insurance. At the same time, we're borrowing a trillion and a half from our our future uh, to do this huge tax cut for the very high end, but we say we don't have enough resources to support children's health insurance program. We have children in Bloomington on that health insurance program mm-hmm. that are at risk. Uh, and if a child loses health insurance, that's a big that's a big problem in the community. HUD, the, the support from, for housing from the federal government, they already cut us this past year. 
$85,000 or something that they cut. And, and we know, we've already heard voices in Washington, D.C. who supported the tax cuts saying, wait a minute, we really got to watch these entitlements. We got to look at the expending it on housing and on Medicare and on Medicaid and on uh, the, the insurance programs that are so important for all of us. Um, so I do think we, we've already started to see those, those uh, effects. Uh, and I think in the year or two to come, you're going to hear people from D.C. saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we can't, we can't, you know, provide more uh, uh, counseling for mentally ill, or we can't provide more services to the addicted, or we can't, you know, invest more in higher ed loans, or because look at the deficit. And that's, it's just uh, really frustrating. And now they want $18 billion for a... Was it eighteen oh, well, or thirty? I thought it was okay. I was sitting he here just thinking asked I think for it was eighteen for eighteen, and he's tying uh, DACA to it, uh, which yeah. which now you're toying with the lives of of untold immigrants who are working hard, trying to make a life here, trying to do it legally, trying to play by the rules, paying taxes, paying taxes, and, and trying to now play with their future. And I just I think where's the conscience here? And and um, I don't know. I think 2018, and people are looking toward 2018 to, to sort of be a slight correction, at least in Congress. And I hope, you know, I'm, I am a Democrat, if, if you have not discerned that. Uh, I just hope that things can sort of get balanced uh, because 2020 is going to be a very interesting election. Uh, I don't think there's anyone who is rising through the ranks of the Democratic Party uh, that will be positioned out. Now, last night after a, 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 a rousing speech, we may have a candidate. We'll talk about that a little bit later <laughs> in the news. But even then, uh, I don't think there's been a voice, and people rally behind the voice. And through all of this, um, my question is, is former President Obama being strategically quiet right now? You know, I, I don't know if he's being quiet or if he's just not receiving uh, a lot of media coverage. Yeah, it could be. I, I, that could be. But I would think anything he does will get covered. Yeah. Um, but but that's been a little interesting, and, and I know that he's not idly sitting by. Um, but but from, from the federal to now more local, uh, just read last week where the city of Bloomington has uh, agreed to purchase the former hospital. Uh, what will soon be the former hospital. Right. Plans for the facility, are you able to discuss, or uh, what will all this entail? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and uh, let me, I'll just let me say one other thing about the, the national and the kind of the, the climate of things. Um, uh, it's scary sometimes, it's frustrating, it's worrying, it's uh, all those, all those things happen when I watch the federal um, activities going on and voices and words. Um, I will say when I do get to get together with mayors from around the country, which I do occasionally, and I'll be with a group of them later this month out in Washington, a, a mixture, Democrats, uh, Republicans, independents, um, I am basically heartened by the fact that these cities where most of us live all around the country the the mayors at least as i meet the mayors the mayors are are they're determined and they're resilient and they're people they want their community to be like 
they want their community to be. And there's a great deal of frustration with what's happening nationally. But if you go and, you know, you hear the mayor of Los Angeles or Denver or Atlanta or Houston or Chicago or Kansas City or Nashville, Tennessee, or all, all those mayors, you, you get the sense that there is this kind of strength and resilience mm-hmm. in the people. Now, does the politics reflect that? No, it doesn't at the national level because of gerrymandering and different kinds of distortions. But it does, I do want to say I get encouraged that we need people to keep talking up and keep asking what's going on and demanding what they want. But the, the, the cities around the country are full of people who want opportunity, they want fairness, they want, they want good schools, they want job opportunities, and, and they want a country that they respect and it's there's a lot of they don't respect parts of the country right now but they're going to keep pushing for it so i am hopeful that our political system will keep keep moving we're we've made a lot of progress even in the midst of frustrations and setbacks and and we you know life is life in america for for the vast majority of people is way better now than it was 50 years ago right mm-hmm. and we need to keep making it move forward that way but so locally Local. Back to the lovely. So, and, and if you're just tuned in, you're listening to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton, our 26th mayor for the city of Bloomington. I had to throw that little ID in there, but please <laughs> thanks, continue. Thanks. Sure. So, yeah, so our hospital, IU Health, Bloomington Hospital, been around since 1905, I believe, at that wow. place, uh, is moving, as many people know, to the east side on, on to the IU property north of 10th and the Bypass, which means they're going to vacate their current site. And just uh, just last week, we announced that the city has made an agreement, it needs to get finalized, to purchase at a deep discount the 24 acres that IU Health owns downtown. And, and I'm, I'm happy about that. I think it's a good deal for the city. I frankly, I think it's good for IU Health because it lets them focus on their new stuff. They're going to build this hospital and create a big investment, and it lets us, the community, focus on the 24 acres that are there. What do we want to see? It's a very exciting opportunity to create new things in 24 acres right near downtown, and that'll be a big, wide, open conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. The, the 24 acres, that's not where the current hospital sits. Yes, yes. Oh, that's considered downtown. Well, I consider it downtown. Okay. It's between first and second, and just west of uh, the Morton, and runs. You know, it's clo- It's kitty corner to the new convention center yeah. site, for yeah. example. Yeah. Okay. Um, we had the the president of Bloomington Hospital on uh, about a year and a half ago to talk about the, the pending uh, changes. Mm-hmm. And one of the the questions that I had that we you know we had just experienced on the bypass uh, sort of the headaches of, of road construction. Yeah. Yeah. And we are currently experiencing the headaches although they're they're getting sort of eased up a little bit it's it's easier to get to indianapolis but 37 has been treacherous and 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 please folks don't call in uh, mayor hamilton uh, <laughs> uh, this okay. is not the hotline to, to talk about 37 but okay are, does this call for a widening of the bypass does this call for alternate routes to i mean if they're going to be emergency runs yeah. wow um they need to get there yeah, I, I think um, it, there's no plans uh, to widen the bypass. I think the biggest changes kind of in the infrastructure in the new location on the east side will be 
uh, on Long 10th Street, particularly east of the bypass, uh, because there'll be, you'll need kind of an eastern entrance into this location. The, the western entrance, if you will, will be off the bypass straight in, but but there'll there'll be a second mm-hmm. uh, entrance kind of up up Pete Ellis Drive and rain. Um, uh, which which will have to get expanded road. a little bit Range Road to get into there, um, but there's a lot of work going on on that. And uh, uh, I I will say this I I was in my campaign for this office I was uh, not in support of the plan for the hospital to move, which they which they had planned for a number of years to move up to the the intersection of of, of 46 and I 69 37 up up uh, northwest outside of the outside city limits and much more suburban uh, and I do think their current their plan location now is better in the city mm-hmm. collect connected with IU um, I uh, it, what it means then is we have an unprecedented opportunity as far as I can tell to, to think about how we read re, re imagine those 24 acres and i i want it to be just as you talked about at the beginning my commitment to making bloomington open and welcoming and working for all walks of life people from all walks of life and then that's gonna be a challenge how do we do that um in that new in that new neighborhood that we can create which uh brings me to my next question can you give us an update on the progress of i-69 <laughs> Well, so, uh, you know, I, I came into this job and um, the, the summer of 2016 was a debacle uh, where work just wasn't being done and yeah. the road was one lane and it was causing difficulty and wrecks and some tragic wrecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to do a press conference out in the middle of the field showing a bunch of uh, uh, earth moving equipment sitting still on a beautiful day. Uh, so this road should have been done by now. Uh, it really should have been finished from here to Martinsville, um, but it's not. I am pleased that the state has taken it back. Uh, the current opening date is planned for August of this year, eight months away. Uh, hang in there. Um, I, I wrote a. I had to go up and back forth uh, several times. It is. It is two lanes all the way now, right. uh, which it will be for the winter. A tough, uh, tough uh, weather seasons, but then it's going to go back as they as they have to finish more construction and more paving and all. It'll go back to some pinch points uh, in the summer, I'm afraid. Uh, but we we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It took way longer than it should have, um, and we could talk about why that's the case. But but I just hope we can get it done for everybody's sake. Affordable housing. Um, and one of your uh, planks on your platform, you wanted to create more affordable housing for residents in the city of Bloomington. Um, I, when you drive around Bloomington, if you drive sometimes in any direction, there are new subdivisions that are being developed, and, and these are sometimes more upper scale, uh, but, but the affordable housing um, locations. Any thought, will some of this sort of be created in the um, – the open footprint where the hosp- the old hospital will be or or somewhere around that area what are your thoughts yeah I, housing is a big challenge uh, for for many families many individuals in our community we are the most expensive housing market in the state of Indiana uh, when you measure our rentals and our ownership on both those sectors we're the most expensive market uh, in the state 
and um, that means a lot of people struggle. They pay too much for how they can't. They pay more than they should, and more than they can really afford for housing. We, of course, have people who get evicted. We have people who who can't live in the city who want to. I I sometimes shock people by saying of our 100 police officers that we have in the city of Bloomington, I can count how many live in the city uh, on two hands. Hmm. Uh, part of that's by choice. Part of that's because it's hard, it's hard to find affordable housing. So I've been really active on this since I've been in for two years trying to – you have to have strategies to deal with housing. Hmm. Bloomington has more people moving in every year. I use growing. Uh, we have about 1,000 more people every year who live in Bloomington. Um, in a way, that's a good problem to have. It means people like living here, uh, but we need to have strategies. And, and, and it's really both uh, specific things like identifying places where we want affordable housing. The new hospital, when they empty that out, that's a key opportunity for us to look at how do we create affordability there. The fact that the public will own the land helps us do that. You know, we're doing that around Switchyard. We've already identified a place for 16 new units of affordable yeah. housing. We're doing it in, in the Trades District where we controlled land, where we've got 30-plus new units of affordable housing coming in right right by the Trades District, right downtown. Uh, we're doing it um, uh, with a senior, the first Medicaid-qualified uh, senior center uh, on the southeast side of, of Bloomington. So we need those programs to help figure out how to do it. The state legislature, by the way, doesn't like this. They prohibited us. It's really a tar- another one of these things where they, they heard about what a community wanted to do and they and they pulled the rug out from under us on inclusionary zoning. And they, they made it illegal in Indiana to do inclusionary zoning, which is a strategy that's done on the East Coast, the West Coast, the lots of places in the country where you say, include, it just means if you're going to build a lot of housing, you have to include some affordability in it. That's the inclusionary part. So, more wow. work to do, but we're making progress, and um, it's really important to do. A couple quick issues, um, and in any order you wish to tackle. Uh, nationally, it is now this particular problem has has risen uh, to a national epidemic, the opi- opioid uh, epidemic, um, and then uh, the homeless epidemic, um, or or not epidemic, but maybe phenomenon. Um, and, and I have reason to believe uh, conversations with some that some communities, because they look at Bloomington as a very caring community, have sent some of their residents to Bloomington. Now, I don't know if that's just urban myth or what, but uh, the opioid uh, epidemic, I know in surrounding counties, counties is reality. And in Bloomington, uh, what's your assessment as far as how we tackle this? Yeah, those are t- those are two big ones. How much time we got? No, no. Uh, oh, we, we, we'll, we'll make time. time. We'll make time. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, you know, and they're not unrelated. Uh, um, the opioid crisis is real. Uh, it's national, and we're part of that. Uh, we certainly see it. Um, uh, uh, one of the things I emphasize is how hard it hits families and kids, um, as you probably know. We've seen um, about three years ago in Monroe County, our county, we had about one child a day removed from a family because of uh, abuse or neglect. Uh, at present, the rate is three a day. It's tripled. That's that's an, a really scary fact, and most of that is related to drug use, addictions, uh, problems at the family level that mean it's just not safe for a kid to be there. 
the future for those kids is is difficult when that happens. Uh, I used to run the family and social services for the state, and those are wrenching decisions to have to make. But but the opioid crisis, there there are individual stories of people who are struggling. We need to be. It's a health it's a health crisis issue we're we're working on, and we've got. A lot of good people thinking about it, and certainly the city is is right at that table to help do things. Needle exchange, uh, treatment centers, um, working with state health departments and others. Uh, it is important to have health insurance that covers that kind of thing. That's one of the scary things if the if the if the resources are reduced. Um, but the impact on kids is really devastating. Homeless, um, you know, we often we often use that word as kind of a kind of a surrogate for poverty, deep poverty, uh, sometimes mental illness, sometimes addiction. Uh, and and most people who are homeless here and around the country are homeless just for a little while. Yeah. They have a family crisis. They have a medical emergency. They have a split up of a family. They have the, and, and, they, and they become homeless and then they get out of homelessness. Um, and, and we have really good partners who help deal with that. Uh, the chronic homeless people who are long-term homeless that's another kind of issue to work on we've been working on it um, I, I can talk if you want a little bit about our sense of where the homeless uh, come from uh, but it's a you know it's a challenge and, and I want to grant you that time we will um, speaking to our our engineer our, our top-notch engineer Chris Martin by the way uh, if we can go on additional four minutes that'll be fine uh, it'll be okay. I'll pay you Okay. <laughs> right. okay. The same. The same rate he pays me. Yeah. If you, so, if the mics aren't cut, if the mics aren't cut, he's agreed on it. That's a deal. Um, so, most of the most, of, and one other thing I'd say is uh, the data that I've seen suggests that, like, about forty percent of the homeless are families with children. So that's not the image most people have of homelessness either. Um, right. And and so there's wonderful partners who work on that with the with the government and the city here, um, uh, but but you know there's there's more we d- need to do. We do know most of the people who are who are formally homeless uh, in our community come from Monroe County. Their last address they had an address in Monroe County, and then they don't have an address. Um, but some are not. Um, and I will share one anecdote that's that's I'm working on it very it very much concerns me. I did learn that uh, when people are released from uh, the prison system, they typically are sent back to the county from which they were sentenced uh, when they've served their mm-hmm. sentence and have ready to return to, to community. They typically go back to the community from which they originated. Um, we found out that. For if if there's a reason they can't go back to some of our neighboring counties, uh, they're sent here by the prison system, and uh, a high percentage of those that are sent here who are not from here end up homeless, end up in really bad circumstances. And and I frankly said to the corrections department, how do you how do you expect somebody coming out of prison mm-hmm. if they're sent to a community where they have no connections? no resources, no residents, what do you think is going to happen? How's that going to work out? And it doesn't work out well. And uh, I've, we're working with the state corrections department to try to deal with that. I said, one, you know, we could spend $5,000 a year and that person could get housing. And if they go back to you in the prison system, you're going to spend 30,000 a year Mm -hmm. taking care of them. Why don't we do that? And I, and I haven't gotten an answer yet, Mm -hmm. but we're, we're, 
making some the state is is doing some things that is sending people here i believe that's causing problems is, right. is that the only recourse that the city has is to try and negotiate something with the department of corrections well um w- once the person they're assigned a parole officer they th- that parole officer is here they have to be here to check in every week and they're uh required to be in this area so mm-hmm. You know, I dealt I dealt with state stuff uh, some years back. Ninety-seven um, percent of the people in the correctional system come out, come home. You know, the vast majority come home, and we do a terrible job working to help make that return successful. Uh, there are lots of things to think about: jobs, education, housing is one of them. Um, and and I'm not I'm not content with the way the state system is working that way. So we're trying to see if we can explore some other options. I guess tied into this too, and this was discussed at length through the summer, uh, the panhandling mm-hmm. um, and, and the measures that were implemented back in the summer. Do you see any progress towards reducing that phenomenon? Yeah, and and it's also it's interesting, Clarence. You know, um, homelessness and panhandling are are two different things too. Right. Um, uh, most people who are homeless don't panhandle, uh, and not every panhandler is homeless. Right. Um, but we did see in Kirkwood in the downtown area. Uh, kind of a, blo- a a blooming uh, a, a negative blossoming of of panhandling. I believe, and most of the professionals who work in this don't endorse a lot of on street cash giving. Um, we think, and I think, and I, I generosity is a really good impulse, and we want to encourage generosity. But uh, we think channeling generosity toward services. Uh, opportunities other than just cash on the street is more positive. Um, and we've seen a change. Uh, we've seen uh, f- fewer, um, you know, there's some people camping out on Kirkwood and there are people selling drugs on Kirkwood. There are people doing some uh, uh, negative things there, People's Park, others. And um, uh, we n- nobody got, I want to make clear, nobody got ordered to leave a park. Nobody got... Um, uh, uh, ordered to remove uh, themselves from a public space uh, unless they were doing something illegal. Uh, but we did find that having a presence there helped um, deter some, some really predatory behavior. Um, again, I, you know, I also remind people, the people who are homeless are far more likely to be victims of a crime than the average person. And they are... F- they're not the perpetrators typically they're typically victims and so a lot of what we're trying to do is make the city safe for everybody here including people who don't have a lot of resources well we have about a minute left um before i'm scratched off the engineer's christmas card <laughs> list uh, what would you like to uh parting words that you'd like to leave our listeners um as we and the first of which i hope will be a number of interviews to come in the future and i pause here to, to hear him say uh, Yes. We yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Great, Call, great. I mean, I love being here, you guys. This is an awesome show. Um, well, look, um, first of all, it's a privilege to be on a multiple award-winning show. Thank uh, you And much. you here, uh, particularly with Bring It On and WFHB as a whole, is a, is a, is a great community resource. Just celebrated its 25th anniversary, I know, not long ago. Um, uh, you know, we need to make the community that we want. Um, we don't always we, we sometimes work in in contexts and in systems that we don't like and that do bad things uh, you know 
this this program knows that uh, uh, the, the country is a history of of, of uh, uh, imperfect uh, imperfect approaches in, in in lots of ways. But we we are making progress, and we as a community, I love Bloomington because the people of Bloomington are steadfast. We we don't always agree, but we're steadfast in wanting to see improvements, uh, and we are making improvements. We've got some headwinds, some serious headwinds that come sometimes. But um, I'm not really a sailor, but you can make progress even against headwinds. You just have to go back and forth a little bit, you know, uh, to make it. And I appreciate the way you help inspire people, motivate people. Uh, You know, we got a lot of tools uh, to work on together to do that. Well, before we we, um, say goodbye to Mayor Hamilton, I want to thank him for bringing in some bicentennial buttons. We did not talk about that topic, but we did. With one of, the, one of your outstanding uh, staff members over there, uh, Miss Beverly Calendar Anderson, who talked at length about some of the celebration yeah. events that will be taking place this year, and around those milestone events, we'd like to bring you back in from time to time to provide some updates. Uh, you're into your you're going into your third year right. of, of right. Uh, service, and I'd uh, like to talk to you more about uh, what you see on the horizon. But nevertheless, uh, with that, well. Our thanks to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton for stopping by to update us on progress to date on his agenda to make Bloomington a much more vibrant and transparent community. Make Bloomington great again. <laughs> Wait a minute. That doesn't sit no. You had to add We look forward to having Mayor Hamilton with us again. That's right. We, we look forward to having him again, William. <laughs> yeah, no. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks for what well, you're doing you for the much. community, too. Bring, bring it on has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is on at wfhb.org. Oh, yeah. Pray for peace. It's a prayer.
changes I've seen in my lifetime. Now our children teach us to be more colorblind. Colorblind! just heard pray for peace by the blind boys of alabama and that was from their almost home cd and if there's any time to pray for peace this is the time to keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at wfhb you are invited to like the wfhb facebook page go to facebook.com and search for wfhb or you can always visit our WFHB news website at wfhb.org slash news. Bringing on is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at wfhb.org. For Bringing On, I'm Clarence Boone. I'm William Hosea. And we'll take a look at some of the latest in the area of news in the world and you had to probably be hiding up under a rock if you weren't aware that the Golden Globes uh, took place last night and it was more of a uh, sort of a political statement on society more than giving out awards, a combination of both. But, uh, but while most of the talk was about progress in the sphere of gender, actor Sterling K. Brown of TV's This Is Us addressed progress of a different kind. He was the first black actor to win the Globe for Best Actor in a TV Drama. He thanked the show's creator, Dan Fogelman, for writing a role for a black man that can, be, that can only be played by a black man. <laughs> well, what he was grateful for, Brown said, is that I'm being here, I'm being seen for who, who I am and being appreciated for who I am, and it makes it that much more difficult to dismiss me or dismiss anybody who looks like me. 
And from AP's Jocelyn Novak, we read that with all the eloquent speeches, none roused the room more than Oprah Winfrey, who had the crowd giving her repeated ovations as she issued a warning, not once, but three times, to powerful men who abuse women. Their time is up. She ended her barnstorming speech in which she accepted the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award with a call to young girls. I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon, she said. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say me too again. Director Ava DuVernay later wrote on Twitter uh, that the room was still vibrating like electricity from that speech. And it was, uh, from all accounts, powerful. And Oprah seems to suck the air out of the room anyway, William. Yeah, it it was a powerful speech. And that uh, provides us with a perfect transition to our next story. Sources say Oprah Winfrey is actively thinking about running for president. Brian Stelter from CNN reports that Oprah Winfrey is actively thinking about running for president, according to two of her close friends who shared this information with CNN today. The two friends, who requested anonymity in order to speak freely, talked in the wake of Winfrey's extraordinary speech at the Golden Globes on Sunday, which spurred chatter about a 2020 run. Some of Winfrey's confidants have been privately urging her to run, the sources said. One of the sources said these conversations date back several months. The person emphasized that Winfrey has not made up her mind about running. A representative for Winfrey has not responded to requests for comment. The Democratic race for president won't officially begin until after the 2018 midterms. But many potential candidates are already jostling for position and making trips to Iowa. President Winfrey was the talk of the entertainment world after Winfrey accepted the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes. And the Oprah for President possibility was a top story on morning TV. The touchstone of her speech was the Me Too movement, or the hashtag Me Too movement. But her hopeful message and new days on the horizon could have doubled as a campaign rallying cry. Many liberal-leaning celebrities and viewers certainly heard it that way. And that may have been exactly what Winfrey wanted. As some political strategists have pointed out in the past year, her fame and wealth could make her a formidable Democratic Party candidate. But insiders have their doubts, too. Would Americans really choose a TV star as president twice in a row? (laughs) Um, I think that question people would overlook because of the breadth of work she's done uh, that has helped humanity. But... Uh, you know, I remember back when uh, then Senator Barack Obama uh, gave a speech at the National Democratic Convention, and that was sort of a launch pad for him. And maybe this speech here at the Golden Globes in some way could be the same. But but what do you think? Uh, a run by Oprah Winfrey for president? Well, let me let me read you what I posted on Facebook. We have to stop this ridiculous, extreme fantasizing every time a celebrity hits a high note. No, Oprah should not run for president. And I I think that's all it is, is a a fantasy of the moment. Mm -hmm. People had an emotional moment and and they ascend straight to the presidency. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's uh, I don't think it's realistic. 
you know, I, I think we've all been sort of uh, at a loss to hear anything inspiring uh, as of late over the last year. And and you're right, the first person who has a high platform to yeah. begin with, who knocks it out of the park, as they say, then everybody's like, wow, why didn't she or why can't or maybe she can, you know, they're, we're wanting so much to place our hope in a persona. And I think that uh, that speaks volumes for what we're all curren- currently uh, uh, experiencing. But um, William's vote is Oprah, support someone, uh, work behind the scenes, but just, just hold off go. on your aspirations. She there. could do, I think, a heck of a lot more uh, to to kind of bring people together and, and rally for, for other candidates. Now, say someone she's rallying for wins uh, being in their cabinet. Maybe an ambassador? Yeah. Um, yeah. Secretary of State? No. Okay. H&M uh, apologizes for using a black child in a racist sweatshirt ad. I hate to end on this note, but, I, but it, was, it was so ridiculous. We, we got we to share it. And you may have seen it online, but H&M apologizes for using a black child in a racist sweatshirt ad, and they pull the product from the website and stores, which seems to be the practice also. Susanna Heller of Business Insider reports that over the weekend, H&M was accused of being racist after using a black boy to advertise a sweatshirt that says, Coolest Monkey in the Jungle. Yeah, I know. I, I, I had to say it. After facing sharp criticism, criticism on social media, the brand apologized on Monday and seen removed the item from its U.S. website. However, the $10.83 sweatshirt is still for sale on H&M's UK site, although it's not shown on a model. And there's a picture that we could look at in our news read today. Uh, but, but nevertheless, let me go to their apologies. Here, here it goes. We sincerely apologize for offending people with this image of a printed hooded top. The image has been removed from all online channels and the product will not be for sale in the United States, representative for the re- retailer said in a statement to Insider. We believe in diversity. <laughs> okay, I'll stop right there. But anyway... That was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. How could you be so incredibly stupid? Not, well, not you, Clarence. Well, well, and then, well, Dove, Dove Soap. Uh, or Dove products, uh, they were, back in the summer, we read something about how you could use their product and whatever. Yeah. Okay, I'm William Hosea. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. And with the remaining time that we have, we're going to go straight to calendar. A few short mentions tonight as we sort of are looking forward to next Monday, which is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. But the Commission on the Status of Black Males will meet this Wednesday, January the 10th from 5.30 to 6.30. And all the meetings are held in the Hooker Conference Room number 245 at City Hall at Showers Plaza, 401 North Morton Street. And the Commission on the Status of Black Males was established in 2001. The Commission's purpose and duties include to develop action committees addressing problems of black males in the areas of education, health, criminal justice, and employment. To serve as a catalyst to promote positive public and private remedies to multifaceted problems confronting black males in our community, such as wearing sweatshirts that says coolest monkey in the jungle and the resulting effects on the entire community. To organize and convene community forums in neighborhood 
based focus groups to discuss the status of black males and to network with groups with similar missions such as the Indiana Commission on the Social Status of Black Males, the African American National Council, and local commissions throughout the state sharing ideas, information, data, and plans. Make your January 15th a day on and not a day off by getting involved with some of the many service projects that are happening throughout our community. The City of Bloomington presents the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration at the Buskirk Chumley Theater in downtown Bloomington on Monday. January 15, 2018 starts at 7 p.m. All members of the public are welcome to attend and experience a reception with tasty food from Board Plus Blade at 6 p.m. Keynote speaker, Reverend Harold Middlebrook, who will speak on the man, the movement, the memorial. Reverend, ha- Reverend Middlebrook is also a friend of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Okay. Featured performances by the Indiana University African American Choral Ensemble, directed by Dr. Raymond Wise and the Fairview Elementary School Choir. Mayor John Hamilton presenting the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Legacy Award. Recognition of a day on, not a day off service volunteers. Rogers Elementary School students singing a welcome at the front door and closing remarks by Reverend Mary Ann Macklin. To learn more, visit bloomington.in.gov forward slash MLK dash day forward slash birthday dash celebration. And, and I think you can access it if when you get to the city of Bloomington Yeah, just site, go to the city's website. And then type in in the search box, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Day activities. Uh, that was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest. Oh, I'm sorry, not the latest news. Uh, jumped ahead. Um, if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send that info directly to the Bring It On staff, or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton for stopping by to update us on progress to date on his agenda to make Bloomington a much more vibrant and transparent community. We look forward to having Mayor Hamilton on with us again for a future broadcast. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in again next Monday, January 15th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.